Aloha and welcome back to the Healing Laughter Podcast, the show where we talk about all things narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Katie Utterback. I'm a certified narcissistic abuse recovery coach at Elevated Aura, an international holistic coaching firm specializing in helping survivors of toxic relationships learn self-love and how to live their best life. Today on the show, I wanted to answer some of your questions, so let's just jump into it. Uh, the first question that I have is from Laura. Laura asked, how do you reconcile the guilt associated with an elderly narcissistic father? I went no contact years ago, but he has now been moved to an assisted living facility. Okay, so Laura, I completely understand and I empathize with your situation. Um, my parents are getting older as well, and their age was something that I definitely took into factor when I made my decision to go no contact. Um, because truthfully, every narcissistic survivor will struggle with fear, obligation, and guilt. And this is why it's really good to get with a narcissistic abuse recovery coach or a therapist to work on why you might be feeling guilty or feeling obligated to stick around with an elderly parent. Um, because I can tell you to not feel guilty, but that's really not going to do anything. You're really going to have to work on feeling whatever it is you're feeling and healing that in order to let go of that guilt, let go of whatever it is. Uh, but I just want to add, you know, your narcissistic father really had no right to take out anger, stress, fear, or shame on you. And so this is... <laughs> This is tricky, right? And this is where radical acceptance really becomes huge because you were a child. Your father was the parent. And if your father wanted to have people around when he was old, he should have acted accordingly and treated you well, right? So this is kind of where a narcissist may make their own bed and by refusing to get help or refusing to see how their lack of boundaries or how their emotional immaturity was abusive, well... This is the point where you have to take care of you right now. And it's really, really hard. So if you're struggling with that, if you're feeling the fear, if you're feeling obligated, if you're feeling guilty, get with a coach or a therapist and we can work on that, okay? Okay, next question. As a child of a narcissist, when someone says, it hurt me that one time my dad said he was ashamed of me, how do you interpret this when your dad said those things every week? Okay, so... Anonymous, you just have to interpret the comment for what it is. It's someone else's experience. And this is tough if you're raised in a toxic or dysfunctional environment because there are other people that were not, right? And so it, it goes both ways. People who are raised in a normal, like quote-unquote normal family, they don't understand what it's like to be raised in a dysfunctional home or have narcissistic parents. So just as much as we as children of narcissists ask for other people to respect our experiences, this is one of those moments where we have to extend that same respect to other people. So if someone says that it hurt them that one time that their dad said that they were ashamed of them, you can just say, I'm so sorry. I must, I mean, I imagine that must have been very painful for you or something like that. Because truthfully, we don't have to make it about us or turn it into a competition. Because that's actually a big thing that gets a lot of emotional abuse survivors or narcissistic abuse survivors stuck in that cycle of abuse is 
we as human beings, as a society, have basically created this structure, this hierarchy of what we deem acceptable and not. And even within abuse, um, it takes survivors of abuse a while to acknowledge that they were abused. And that's for all types of abuse. If you strip out, so if someone experienced just emotional abuse or just verbal abuse or psychological abuse, sometimes people will say to these survivors, wow, you know, you're so lucky. You're so lucky that you didn't have the sexual abuse or the physical abuse. But I mean, that's really, it's not, it's not, it's not any better. It's not because with sexual abuse and with physical abuse, it's very obvious to not only the survivor but other people that a boundary has been violated, right? Like a line has been crossed. It's lesser so that way for emotional abuse. So emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, because people don't fully understand it, sometimes they think it's a lesser type of abuse, but it's really, really not. It has almost more trauma related to it than even sexual abuse because with sexual abuse there is that support there's not that support for emotional abuse which is why people just get stuck in this in this thought or this mistaken belief the narrative from the narcissist right that you're crazy because gaslighting if you want to talk about something powerful gaslighting is insanely powerful at getting somebody to do something or not how do I know if my current relationship is toxic and controlling? The easiest, quickest test is just ask yourself, is there fear, obligation, or guilt in this relationship? And if you have an emotion or a desire to do something, are you fearful to express it? Do you feel obligated to do whatever your partner wants whenever they want, even though that sentiment is not reciprocated to you? And what I mean by that is, does your partner do whatever you want to do when you want to do it? And do you feel guilty if you don't do what your partner wants to do? Do you feel guilty saying no or putting in a boundary? Because if you do feel fear, if you do feel obligated, and if you do feel guilty, then the answer is yes. It might be worth exploring whether or not this relationship is actually toxic and controlling. However, even if you answered no, the fact that you are questioning if there's abuse in your relationship, if there's toxicity, if there's if there's uh, any sort of controlling aspect in your relationship, signals to me that you might already know the answer and you might be looking for validation. So if that's the case, then yes, your partner is toxic and controlling and you should definitely start making your way to the exits. Um, but if you want to just double check, remember you can always work with a coach or a therapist and really just kind of get um, not somebody else's opinion, but you can just kind of talk things out. And sometimes it's really when you're talking things out that you get the answer. Because you guys, as a narcissistic abuse recovery coach, I am not here to tell you what to do. Truthfully, I am like a therapist in that I'm going to sit there, I'm going to listen to you, I'm going to hold space to help you heal, but I am not going to tell you whether or not I agree with what you're doing or not, unless, of course, you would be putting yourself or somebody else in danger. 
It is not my job as a coach to tell you what you should or should not be doing. It's my job as a coach to help hold you accountable as you're figuring out and becoming the person that you know that you are. It's my job as a coach to make sure that you feel safe and secured and supported as you're metamorphosizing essentially into this new beautiful butterfly of a person that you know that you are. All right, next question. Why does the narcissist hang up the phone when you call them out on their abuse? Okay, so narcissists are essentially traumatized toddlers. They're stuck at whatever age that they had something traumatic happen to them. Usually around two, three, usually never much older than five years old. So when you call this person out on their abusive tendencies, they're freaking out because the individual that you're talking to is two to three years old. So if you switch how you start talking to them and you start talking to them like they're two or three, they actually might calm down a little bit. And that's because their mind, the narcissist's mind, is usually this really chaotic place. And it's it's really a horrible place to be. There's a lot of hang, uh, anger and hate. And this is why narcissists often mirror people who are empathetic, kind, compassionate, hardworking, and intelligent. So when the mask slips and the narc gets called out for who they really are, especially by the target of abuse, right? The narc freaks out because they don't want to be seen for who they really are. The mask is slipping and instead of being reflected back to them, this empathetic, kind, compassionate image that they see in us that we see in ourselves we start mirroring back to them who they really are right someone that maybe can't be trusted somebody that's maybe sneaky somebody that's maybe a liar and they don't want us to find out because we're gonna take that supply away we're not going to allow them to continue mirroring us the way that we have and this is when the smear campaigns usually start against you so the best way to communicate with a narcissist is in writing. And this is so that you can make sure that there is no denying what they said. This also gives you the opportunity to calm down and really think about how you want to respond instead of just reacting to whatever they said to you. Because narcissists sometimes will fill in a lot of garbage just to try to get you to react, and then they'll answer your question. So when you get it, a response from a narcissist in a text or an email, you then can take a minute, breathe, ignore the bullshit, and then just only respond to what you absolutely have to respond to. Oh, this is going to be a fun one too. Okay. Why does my narcissist continue to call me? I have been no contact with him, and I know he senses that I have lost interest. He knows it's uncharacteristic of me to not answer him. Why is he still calling? Okay, this is called a hoover. So when we go no contact with a narcissist, they 100% know, and yes, it pisses them off. It pisses them off because they cannot believe that we as their target, would ever discard them. Because for a narcissist, they think that they're the hottest shit that has ever existed. And they think also that we are lucky just to hang out. 
with them or to just be in their graces. So now they're absolutely pissed that we not only want nothing to do with them, but we've discarded them to a point where we're not even responding to phone calls or messages. So what they do is they will contact their target ad nauseum and they'll not just, they don't want to just talk to you, right? They're not like just trying to get you on the phone just so that they can yell at you. No, 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 no. This is when they contact you ad nauseum with love bombs, but we know better. We call them Hoovers because a Hoover is when someone's saying like, oh God, I'm so, so sorry. I messed up. Please forgive me. But here's the thing. They're crying, right? They got those crocodile tears rolling down their face. They're saying all the right things, but you know from experience their actions not going to change. Or other times, what will happen after these whole I'm sorry, Hoovers don't work. The I'm sorry, I'm sorry, baby, I love you. Once that doesn't work, they create faux emergencies. So I'm in the hospital. I have cancer. I have this surgery. I was in an accident. And they don't. They're just sitting at home or they're in their car waiting for somebody. I don't know. It's all a ruse to essentially measure if you still care about them if they still can just sink their hooks back into you whenever they want. And this is because narcs always, always need a supply. So for example, if you're in a romantic relationship with a narcissistic partner and your partner maybe ghosts you or or you break up or you find out um, he's been cheating on you or she's been cheating on you, that's usually the case because the narcissist is never going to leave their current partner before they have a new one set up. And then to try to paint the narrative in a way that supports, you know, them being the victim and all, they'll probably say something like you're just an obsessive ex or something. So even though you haven't technically ended your relationship, they're painting you as a crazy stalker ex. And this is why I'm saying don't answer the phone, don't try to text, don't try to, you know, try to talk this through or whatever. You can't really talk things through with a narcissist. Next question. How do you cope with your former abusive ex telling lies about how you were the abusive one? Okay, this one, this is tough. This, I think, is one of the most difficult aspects of abuse recovery because we want to share our story, right? We want our side out there. But when we just start talking you know, randomly or out loud about how someone else is crazy and abusive, we end up sounding like the one who's a little unhinged. So when you find out that your abusive ex or your narcissistic parents or siblings are telling stories and trying to paint you as the abuser, I know this is really hard. You guys ignore it. Ignore it. At least in front of them, ignore it. So this means that you can yell into a pillow, you can curse them out in a rant, you can yell in your car, you can even write a go fuck you letter, but don't send it, burn it. You can meet with a coach, you can meet with a therapist, you can blog about it, you can record a a voice message on, on your phone and then delete it, don't ever send it. The point is you don't want to react to the abuser. Because that is what your abuser wants. 
They're trying to get you to react. They want you to fly off the handle because that is the narrative that they have been painting, that you are the crazy one, that you fly off the handle, that you have anger issues, that you rage, all of this, that you're, insta- that you're unstable. And when we feel like we don't ever get to share our side, it's beyond frustrating. It's beyond frustrating to feel like you've been painted a particular way and that's just how it's supposed to be. I hated that. Um, but let me tell you, it it really doesn't make you feel any better long-term, long-term or short-term if you just start blurting out your story. The best way to deal with someone painting a false narrative about you is to just live your fucking best life and to show them through actions, not words. Because especially when dealing with toxic and abusive people, talk is cheap. It's all through action. So work on your self-esteem, work on codependency, work on self-love, and keep living your life the best way that you know how. Live your life in a way that when people hear that you are the abusive one and that you're ignoring your abusive ex's commentary, people are going to laugh. No one is going to believe that narrative because when you continue to show up in the world as a kind, compassionate person, it's obvious, you guys. It's obvious to everyone who the abuser is, who the one, like, everyone basically finds out the one that's truly cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, okay? Your job is to just focus on you and to let that other person go. Why do people stay married or involved with narcissists well past the time they discover who the narcissist really is? This one is also tough. There's a few reasons we stick around and try to get the narcissist to wake up, right? And recognize the hurt and the pain that they're causing, not just for us, but other people in our lives. Especially if you are the empath that was the uh, target of abuse by a narcissist, you're going to definitely be aware of the pain that this particular person caused other people. And you actually may have also acted as a flying monkey, enabler, um, you know, while you're kind of still under the narcissist's spell, trying to repair what was going on with other people because you saw the hurt, right? So why do we stick around? Number one reason is a trauma bond. We're literally addicted to the intermittent positive rewards from our abuser. Now, this does not mean that we enjoy being gaslit or we enjoy emotionally or verbally being abused or psychologically tortured, but just like a cocaine addict needs cocaine or an alcoholic needs alcohol or myself, I need chocolate to function. I'm a chocoholic. Codependent, or excuse me, not codependent, trauma bonding is a learned behavior. We enjoy the highs when our abuser acts like they did when we first met. And so when they love us and they surprise us with all these gifts, we're as addicted to that high as like a heroin user. And then when it goes low, when they're discarding us, when, you know, we're feeling like we fucked up or that we're terrified that our relationship is going to end because we said something or did something or maybe we didn't do something. That is basically a test to see if we're trauma bonded. Those are intentional, those discards. 
and this this cycle of intermittent positive rewards and the discard is going to actually shorten the longer that you stick around with a narcissist. Now, the second reason that we would stick around with someone long after we discover who they are is codependency. So not only are we trauma bonded to this particular person in adulthood, but depending on our childhood and whether our needs were met when we were growing up, it's possible that we have codependency. Now, codependency is a learned behavior in which we defer our wants and our needs to someone else for fear that if we express what we truly want and need and desire, that we're going to be abandoned. So it plays right into that trauma bond cycle. And the third reason that we stick around is we want to save them. When we learn that our loved one is a narcissist, we may try to save them by waking them up and helping them realize that what they're saying or doing is hurting not just us, but our ability to be around the narc. Um, I, I think I told you guys, like I spent, you know, six months to a year just trying for months to get my narcissistic parents to understand the cruelty of their words and actions. And it was because they didn't care. They don't have empathy and they don't self-introspect. And as hard as that was for me to swallow, as hard as that was for me to wrap my head around, it's the reality. I did not hurt them. I cannot save them. And the same is true for you and your narcissist. If you did not hurt them, you cannot save them. How can a narcissist brainwash their spouse and their children? So a narcissist will usually marry someone who is codependent, fearful of abandonment or rejection. Um, And that's usually because a narcissist, it's really hard for a narcissist to be in relationship with another narcissist uh, because you'd have two people essentially battling to be the alpha. Uh, So the narcissist narcissist usually likes to pick a partner who is an empath or somebody who is willing to let them be the alpha. And when the narcissist feels like they're the alpha, right, they can emotionally, physically, verbally, psychologically, and sometimes sexually abuse their spouse. And they can do this without even worrying that their spouse will leave them. Not only that, but the narcissist will gaslight their spouse. They will use word salad, which means you think that you're maybe talking about something and then they'll throw in a bunch of terminology or they'll throw in like, hey, you did this this one time. And it basically confuses you to a point where you don't really actually even remember what you were arguing about anymore. And all of this is done is to confuse uh, the target of abuse, to keep them feeling crazy, to really isolate them, and to really keep them from trusting their gut. Because a narcissist will... They'll leave you doubting your own sanity to a point where you really can't intervene and help your children anymore because you're so unsure of everything, essentially. And when it comes to the children of a narcissist, well, for children, you have to remember, this is the only environment that most children have ever known. It's what's going on in our house with mom and dad or mom and mom or dad and dad or mom or dad. Um, 
And so these children don't know that their parent is unhealthy. Sometimes a child will subconsciously know that's the truth teller child, the, the child that usually becomes the black sheep scapegoat. But the child does not consciously understand that mom or dad is unhealthy, right? They're just a child who innately is a truth teller and they suspect that something is off but they can't quite put their finger on it. And the reason why a child is also not going to come out and say necessarily like, you know, mom or dad is completely unhealthy is because biologically we're designed to not let that happen. And what I mean by that is when a child recognizes consciously that mom or dad is not healthy, the child is going to swallow that and instead of mom or dad being unhealthy, the child is going to take that on themselves. So it's going to be, there's something wrong with me. There's something weird about me. There's something inherently wrong with who I am. And that is why mom or dad acts this way. So I hope that kind of answers that a little bit. Um, so that that's kind of part of it, right? Is that the narcissistic uh, parent basically created this child and put them in an environment so they don't really know what other environments exist. They don't know that they're in an unhealthy environment. They don't know what a healthy environment would look like. Um, and even if a child is abused, they'll try to protect their parents. And I mean, you can just look up stories um, from Child Protective Services on that one. I'm not going to fully get into that, but this is kind of how that brainwashing cycle continues, right? We try to protect our parents when we're kids and then maybe we grow up, we find ourselves with maybe a not so great partner, maybe they're a little bit toxic, maybe they have their own traumas from the past and instead of holding our partner accountable, we just try to excuse whatever's going on in their life and we basically just try to maybe shield the children from seeing it, but they see it anyway, they experience it. So it yeah, just make sure protect the children at all do whatever you can to protect these kids. All right, the last question I'm going to answer this round is, what made you realize your narcissistic parent was parentifying you? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, so for most of my life, I just thought that my parents were sharing their frustrations about one another with me because I was mature. I truly thought that my mom talking to me about having a low sex drive, um, porn addiction. Like I literally thought all of this was just the new normal world, like modern world, mother daughter type conversation. And especially when I was younger, I felt like having these conversations made me so powerful because I felt like I was getting a glimpse as to what went on in adult world. And I felt like I had this advantage over my peers. So because I, I really didn't think that anybody else had this level of information. So I never really questioned anything that was shared with me. But when I started getting older and I asked for things that I thought would be seemingly simple, even though I was a little embarrassed to ask for it, I wanted thong underwear. I didn't want to wear granny panties anymore. And I mean, that was that request was met with shame. And not only that, there were other things too, like if I wanted to go out with a guy friend, not a boyfriend, a guy friend, or stay at a guy friend's house, or even when I got married, my parents, especially my mother, did not respond with kindness nor treat me as an adult. And 
you know, I was slut shamed. I had doors shut in my face. My mother yelled at my husband during our wedding ceremony and more. And when I tried to share my hurt feelings, right? I tried to share these real raw adult feelings instead of apologizing or expressing any sort of remorse, my mother just berated me. So it really took my wedding and that whole experience for me to realize that I had um, a mother who was parentifying me and that there was an unbalance in the relationship. But even when I discovered what parentification was and how unhealthy my relationship was with my mom, it still took me a while to fully digest all of that, um, especially since once you learn new terminology, like you think that, you know, maybe you're just dealing with a narcissistic parent, but then when you start looking at parentification, enmeshment, all of these other terminology, they, they can open up this whole other Pandora's box. And that's what happened for me is that I really opened up a Pandora's box and I had to really look at you know, what is a healthy relationship? What is an unhealthy relationship? And that was part of why I made the decision to go no contact and protect myself. That's our show for today. Remember, you deserve healing from narcissistic abuse because you are fucking worth it. And I love you. If you have any questions about narcissistic abuse or the recovery journey that you would like to have answered on this show, please send an email to katie at elevatedaura.com or you can submit a voice message on the Healing Laughter Anchor podcast homepage.